What's fun about designing and building with it is that you basically send a design in and they will cut the entire wall panel to the size you want and you get this flat pack of ready-to-go wall panels. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 82 with Mike Haney from Cubist Engineering. Cubist Engineering made a splash a couple of years ago with their tiny house model called the Sturgis. Now, this house isn't just beautiful on the inside and out, but it uses some very innovative construction materials and techniques. One of the innovative materials that the Sturgis uses is called cross-laminated timbers, or CLTs. CLTs have been used in Europe for a long time, but they are just gaining popularity in the United States. Mike Haney has an engineering background, and he's a great person to come on the show to explain to us what CLTs are and how they can be used in tiny house design. Cubist Engineering doesn't just stop there. They also have engineered several innovative things to make building tiny houses easier, including a trailer that has removable axles. So you can build your tiny house on wheels, move it into place, and then create a permanent foundation if you so desire. It's a great conversation, and I hope you'll stick around. But before we get started, if you have questions that you'd like me to answer live on the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast, I've opened a new way for you to submit them. You can now record a question to be answered on the show. To submit your question, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask and hit the appropriate button. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask, where you can record a question for me to answer on the show. I love hearing from listeners, and I can't wait to answer your tiny house questions, whether it's building, living, or anything related to the tiny house lifestyle. Everything is fair game. Head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask to submit your question today. right, I am here with Mike Haney. Mike is the co-founder of Cubist Engineering, a prefab small space design, build, and consulting firm. With a background spanning magazine editing, furniture building, and software, Mike handles design, sales, and marketing for Cubist. He lives in San Diego. Mike Haney, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm, I'm really excited. There are so many great ideas that Cubist has that they're putting into tiny houses. And I wasn't quite sure where to begin, but I, I've decided that I want to start with the foundation, you know, start with the floor. So um, you've developed a transformable trailer, correct? That's right. We call it the transformable foundation. So the idea is to have a, a structure underneath these units that is more advanced than a typical sort of car trailer uh, or cargo trailer that that a quote unquote tiny house might be built on, and and we arrived at this for a couple of different reasons. First was that with some of the initial prototypes that we built, we wanted to experiment with new materials, and one of the materials we played with was called cross laminated timber, and we'll probably talk about that more later. But oh, yeah. the salient fact for the purposes of the foundation is that CLT is very very heavy, 
uh, it's solid wood. So it's much heavier than a traditional stick frame or metal stud frame building. And so traditional trailers just were not going to work to carry that kind of a heavy structure. And so we had to custom engineer something. The other thing that we liked about taking sort of a fresh approach to this was that the kinds of structures that we want to design, the kinds of design we wanted to bring to it and the aesthetic that we were trying to create was not a typical tiny house aesthetic and it really wasn't a typical tiny house market. It's really aimed more at backyard structures, guest houses, studios, things that people might want to put behind a, a very nice home in their backyard and not have their neighbors say, you know, hey, you just parked an RV or a tiny house in your backyard. We wanted something that could fit more into a normal residential environment. And so we wanted to create a foundation that could transform from a trailer, which has a lot of advantages in terms of transport uh, and mobility for the structures down the road. If it is something you want to move, that's certainly an advantage to these spaces like a traditional tiny house, but that could transform into something that looked more permanent and more residential. And so we created a a foundation that had removable axles to it so that uh, when you got it to the site, you could lift it up. You could just with just a few bolts, you could drop the axles off and then you could set it on the ground. And that also meant then working with our structural engineer to make sure that the foundation had all of the necessary strength and, and resiliency to serve as the foundation for the home itself. So in other words, it can meet all of the seismic requirements, the you know, hurricane strength requirements uh, to be the actual foundation for the home without having to say pour an additional slab or do anything else. Um, as the foundation. So that's kind of what led us down the path to creating what we've called the transformable foundation was really to, to give ourselves and give our clients the most flexibility for how these structures ultimately get used in what environment. And again, whether they remain mobile or whether they uh, sit in some kind of slightly more permanent way. Right. And so it's a, it's a drop or not, it's not a drop axle trailer, but it is a deck over trailer. Like the wheels are kind of underneath. Yeah, with the initial ones we built, we did a deck over uh, primarily for sort of design and aesthetic reasons that we just didn't want to have the wheels cutting up, the wheel wells cutting up into the interior space itself, particularly if the axles were going to come off and this was going to sit more like a, a, you know, auxiliary dwelling unit or a kind of secondary structure in a, in a residential environment. We didn't want to look like a kind of the vestige of a, of a trailer. Right. So what needs to be done? to the site to prep for, you know, a transformable trailer that you're planning to drop the wheels off of? Really very little, you know, the, the steel itself, the, the structures that the CLT structures that we built, the prototypes that we built, and it's probably important here to mention that we are a custom design and build firm. So everything that I'm talking about is is an example of something we've done for existing structures, but we really do kind of solve this problem uniquely for any client that comes to us and what their needs might be. But for the existing, the sort of prototype transformable foundations that we created to sort of establish that as a technology, very little needs to be done. The, the foundations are 10 inch steel I-beams. So they're, they have a lot of structural strength to them. We finish them with a process called hot dip galvanizing, which is People would be most familiar with the the metal uh, posts that hold up freeway signs or highway signs, that kind of grayish coating to them. That's hot dipped galvanizing. So it's a way to galvanize metal uh, and have it be a, a, a pretty permanent bond of the galvanization. 
we happen to have a facility fairly near where we build that can do really large structures. They have giant tanks that they can dip the entire built trailer into to get this hot dip galvanizing. And it gives you what is a 75-year rust-proof finish. So even from the purposes of setting it on the ground directly, you know, we would always recommend maybe elevating it up a little bit, but you literally could just set it on your dirt ground and it's going to be fine. It's not going to rust for a long time, certainly not the way a traditional painted trailer would. Um, and it does have that foundational strength. You know, really what you're looking at in terms of site prep are things like utilities and thinking about how do you want it to sit on the ground. So people might use helix screws to elevate it a couple inches off the ground or a couple feet off the ground, depending on what their needs are and how those utilities underneath the unit are tying into, you know, an existing septic or any other kind of thing, or you could set it on piers. Or, you know, we just were talking to a potential client about taking one of the structures and he wanted to pour a basement, um, like a half basement underneath the unit to have some additional storage and then set it on top of that. And, you know, that's entirely possible to do. Wow. That's, that's really cool. This really opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, definitely. And that, that kind of flexibility is something that we wanted to explore again as a custom builder, you know, every client who comes to us has slightly different needs. And, right. and so we wanted to look at, at creating technology that would allow us to be flexible while having solved some of those problems that we could then apply to a number of different custom cases that might come in the door. Right. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a split in the tiny house world about whether a, a house that's on wheels is classified as a, as a home, a single family home, or as an RV. Now, if somebody wanted to travel, to use one of these structures for travel, could they? Like, could it be classified as an RV? Or is it not really ideal for that due to how heavy it, it is? With the CLT structures in particular, they're certainly mobile. So the, the trailers are designed and engineered as trailers. So they have taillights on the back, they have a VIN number, they have a removable hitch. They have a, they have a hitch on the front, but the entire hitch structure is also removable if you don't, and you want to lose all sort of traces of it being a trailer. But they are absolutely designed as trailers that can go down the road and travel. That said, the larger a CLT unit gets, the heavier it is. So we have a prototype unit we built called the Sturgis, which is 21 feet long by eight feet wide. That's a really heavy structure. You're not pulling that with an F-150. You know, that requires a, you know, probably at least an F-350, if not a house mover to really tow around. I mean, you could sort of get it around your property with less, but when we talk to folks who, for whom mobility or frequent mobility is an important aspect, somebody who says, yeah, look, I want to tow this to the lake house every other week. Or I want the freedom to be moving this around a lot. CLT would not be the material we'd use for that. It's just it's just too heavy. But we have other materials then that we would build with that would get a much lighter footprint. And then again, we would custom engineer that uh, foundation, that transformable trailer foundation, for whatever the weight load was that was going to go on top of it. Nice. So, are these transformable foundations available? to purchase separately or can you only get them with a structure from Cubist? No, we can certainly manufacture them independently. The piece of that that becomes important is that engineering side of it, you know, because it's important to us that everything we ultimately build is engineered um, and is as safe as, as it can possibly be. And that's why we really like the idea of having structural engineers weigh in on these kinds of things and, and bring their expertise to it. 
we don't build a, a transformal foundation and just give it to somebody and say, hey, build whatever you want on top. If we were going to build just a foundation, we would want to either be the designer of what was going to go on top of it or work closely with the designer of whatever was going to go on top of it so that other, either our structural engineer could stamp the entire unit because they, they do function as a single unit um, for purposes of you know, structural engineering, both going down the road and being safe once they're, they're set in a permanent location. Or just you know, make sure that, that if we're not doing the whole thing, we're working with a, a structural engineer who's doing the top bit. So we do get folks who come in and say, hey, can I just buy a 20-footer from you? And, and we say, no, that's, that's not really how we work. Um, there are other folks out there who make great trailers. You know, that that they're willing to sell just as a kind of platform that you can build whatever you like on top of it. But we really like to engineer the entire package. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense for something like this, that you would want the whole thing to be engineered to to work together. So I guess the next thing that I want to ask about, since you've mentioned them already, is um, CLTs. And I've only recently heard about them, and I'm sure that many people listening don't know what a CLT is at all. So why don't we start there? Sure. So CLT stands for cross laminated timber, and it's a way of making a, a panel, a building panel out of solid wood. So CLT has been really commonly used in Europe, particularly in Northern Europe for 20, 25 years. It's very common building material in Scandinavia. And the way it's built is, is essentially taking normal boards. So it could be one by or two by boards. And they get those boards get glued together edge to edge to make a very large sheet. And then those sheets get glued together in stacks to, to create a whatever kind of thickness of panel you might need. And the cross part of cross laminated timber means that each one of those layers, each one of those sheets is turned 90 degrees so that the grain of the wood runs perpendicular to the sheet that's on top or below it. And that's where a lot of the structural strength of, of the panel comes from. And so panels can be anywhere from three layers of, you know, one by material. So our floors and our prototype units are about two and a quarter inches thick. And that's three layers of roughly three quarter inch thick wood all the way up to nine or 11 layers. You can get very, very thick. So there are multi-story structures in the world that have been built, 20, 30 story structures that are built out of CLT panels. It's an incredibly strong material. Um, one of the common uses is, is surprisingly elevator shafts tends to make a, a very durable and cost efficient elevator shaft, but they're used in all kinds of architectural places where they're not used as much in the U S as in residential structures. And I think that's for a number of reasons, not least of which is, as you pointed out, it's simply an unfamiliar material, um, unfamiliar to both consumers, but also to builders and to home inspectors. It is part of the International Building Code as of, I think, 2013. So you can certainly build with it. You could build your house with it in the U.S. And there are a handful of houses in the U.S., regular residential structures that have been built with it. But uh, it's simply not as common. And we've never seen anybody else doing, uh, you know, tiny structures or small structures like this out of it. It has a number of, of really unique advantages. I mean, I mentioned that the one disadvantage is, or potential disadvantage, particularly for a mobile structure, is the weight. It's very heavy. But among the advantages is it actually has maybe somewhat counterintuitively a great fire resistance. And people say, well, it's solid wood. How can that be? But when you think about how a log burns on a fire 
how quickly a log catches fire as opposed to a small stick. So if you think of a two by four compared to, you know, three or four or five inch thick solid slab of wood, you know, you can see how much less flammable it is. So it actually has a great fire rating. Uh, one of the questions we get a lot of is about insulation. What's the R value? In Scandinavia, when this is used, CLT is often insulated on the outside because people like to have that beautiful pure wood finish on the inside. And that's certainly one of the advantages that you don't have to put wood paneling up. You've already got a solid wood wall as the interior of your structural wall. So in, when the, there is additional insulation that needs to be added, people tend to put it on the outside and then put the siding over the insulation on the outside. But the panels themselves actually, while they don't translate to a high R value, because the solid wood has really interesting thermal characteristics, it does a really great job of both holding heat and sort of um, holding cool. And because of the way the buildings are put together, they're basically giant panels that are edge glued together and screwed together. You have an extremely airtight box. And that's where a lot of you know, heat and cold tend to, to come in and escape is through uh, air leaks, particularly in a traditional stick frame kind of house. So they have actually really good environmental performance as well. Um, and they can be very green. So the CLT that we used was from a manufacturer here in the U.S., I think still the only manufacturer in the U.S., although there, there may have been there's a few plants that are uh, underway and maybe up and running, but there's a manufacturer in Montana called Smart Lamb, and they use a lot of lumber in the West that is unable to be used for other purposes, um, whether it's part of the beetle kill lumber, you know, that, that um, you know, suffered under kind of an insect infestation. And so it's not high enough quality to be used for some other reasons that it can be processed to then be used in CLT because it's all being glued together. Um, so it can be a very sustainable and very green way to build as well. And we really liked it from a design and, and building standpoint. It's what's fun about designing and building with it is that the manufacturers can make the panels up to 60 feet long and I don't know, 10 or 12 feet wide. And so when you create the structure, you basically send a design in and they will cut the entire wall panel to the size you want, cut out the window and door openings, you know, cut any additional sort of joinery that you might need or tabs routed out that you might need for joining to the foundation. And you get this flat pack of ready to go wall panels. And so when my partner and I built the first couple of prototype units, we just did it ourselves using a truck mounted crane. And we got the shipment of panels, we lifted up the, the panels with our crane, put them together. And you know, we built our 20 foot structure in an afternoon, including the roof and the, and the floor. Um, so it's a really interesting, really fun material to work with. It's certainly not the right selection for everybody. As I mentioned, if you want to be very mobile, the price has actually gone up a fair amount in the last couple of years because there's such an industrial demand for it in the U.S. Uh -huh. um, and prices of lumber varying and, and things. So it's not always the most economical choice. That it for another project where the the client was interested just because they loved the material. There's a real organic feel to it. It's a completely unique interior look that you can't mimic with the paneling because it is this solid wood. You know, it just looks like a solid uh, wall of, in this case, Douglas fir is the is the wood that our panels are made out of. Um, so it's a it's a really cool, unique material, and was really fun to play with. Yeah, the photos are beautiful. I, I want to back up just 
for a second to the insulation question. Um, so it sounds like you will have a very well air sealed structure. I would imagine that in a very cold climate, like in the Northeast, you would still need to add some insulation. Um, and I'm guessing, or I'm actually curious what insulation you would add to the outside. Would you use, you know, some kind of rigid foam or, you know, what, what insulation would you use? Yeah, that's typically what, what's done in Europe is like an EPS foam panel. So, a you know, a rigid foam panel is typically what's added, um, then house wrap over, over that. And then your, your siding, maybe a, a vapor barrier and then side air, a, a rain screen rather, and then a siding over the top of that. I will say that the structures that we built and we've had now through a couple of winters in, in upstate New York, um, have performed remarkably well. So in the the 20 foot unit, we have a mini split in there, fairly small mini split mounted above the door and we'll have it empty and, and unused. It's basically a demo unit we used to just show folks. So it might sit, you know, um, totally off and not being heated for weeks at a time. And we'll go in there to warm it up for a, a showing. And it's, it's never terribly cold, even in the coldest, coldest days. Uh, we also have a lot of glass in there, so you get a lot of solar gain through the windows, which really helps. But we fire up the mini split, and it does not take time at all for it to come up. I mean, it performs as well, just experientially. I, you know, Again, if you're talking our values, it's a sort of different thing. But when you talk about just the experience of being in it and living in it, and then again, on the summer side, when we've gone in there on a you know, summer day, it performs better than most stick frame structures that we've been in. It, 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 ha- it, it actually tends to work pretty well. So where you might get into insulation is really going to be more a question of sort of building code. If the local code wants you to have an R value of a particular level, then you might need to add the insulation to get there because the wood itself, I think technically has an R value of R6 per inch, something like that. So so then you might need it, but you know, again, it depends on the structure, how big the structure is, how much glass you have, what kind of heating and cooling solution you want in there as to whether or not you actually would need to insulate it. Yeah. And it, so it, it's a very intriguing material just because it, it seems that it acts as, you know, there's no frame and there's no sheathing. It's all one structural piece. That's right. It's basically uh, solid wood panels glued together to to make the box and and you certainly can cover the inside we have you know parts of the inside where we put tile up in the kitchen or in the bathroom we put flooring down you know on top of it so we had a nice you know oak wood floor and on the outside you know you still put siding and a vapor barrier on just because douglas fir is not weather and, and rot proof mm-hmm. uh, we did some experiments for a client who wanted to build in the caribbean around making a tropical hardwood CLT panels. So taking woods like Ipe or Grappa that are naturally insect and rot resistant that do survive in those tropical climates and gluing those together to make a, a panel. And, and it's entirely possible to do. So you could create a panel that could theoretically, you know, even the exterior could survive being exposed just very expensive to do because those woods are very, very expensive. But traditional CLT is not designed to be exposed to the elements, but on the interior, it that's what, what most folks do. There's some other homes that have been designed uh, with it where they've done really beautiful things like 
routed out channels on the interior and then run uh, exposed conduit through those routed channels as a way of routing the electricity around. Because again, unlike a traditional stick frame wall, you don't have this sort of cavity to run your plumbing and your electric through. So we've done some experiments of either exposed conduit or hiding things behind cabinets or built-ins or chases that look like faux beams, those kinds of things. But there's a lot of different design things you can do to play with it and design challenges it presents is in this way of having a very solid, a solid wall that doesn't have the cavity inside of it. The other great thing it brings is because it's a solid wall, you've got the same structural strength everywhere on the interior. So if you want to hang something very, very heavy off the wall, you just screw things into the wall wherever you want to put them and you've got the strength to hold them. And that's a great transition, actually, to talking about in the Sturgis, there's a pretty innovative bed. Um, what do you call it? How does it work? Yeah, we call it the ceiling bed. Probably could have thought of a more creative name, but, but we, we call it the ceiling bed. And I guess I'll, I'll explain how it works, and then uh, I can talk about the sort of the genesis of how it came to be. So basically, it's a bed that, that when it's not being used, it rests flat against the ceiling it raises up when you want to use it you hold down a button and it lowers you know as though it were an elevator it lowers down to a fixed height uh, and then you can you can sleep on it and then the morning you hit the button and it and it elevates back up and kind of tucks into a, a nook that we've made for it on the ceiling it the genesis of that was really that you know we really a lot of what we wanted to do in the prototype units as we thought about coming up with solutions for custom clients as they came in were just ways to explore what you do in a small space. How do you make it feel bigger? How do you use glass? What do you do about storage? And, and beds is a big one, right? We wanted, because we were building things that we imagined being a guest suite, not, you know, for, um, a nice residential environment. We didn't want to have a, a really small bed. We didn't want to have a, we didn't want to go into loft beds. Um, again, in that environment, it's just less common. And so we wanted a queen size bed uh, that takes up a lot of space. So it had to hide away somewhere when it wasn't being used. And so this is one of the experiments we came up with is we said, look, we have nine and a half foot ceilings inside of this thing. One of the things CLT also does for you is actually gives you more interior space because your walls are thinner than if you were doing a, a two by four or certainly a two by six stick frame. So we had a little bit of extra width and height even within the you know traditional eight six width uh, of a you know road legal unit. So we thought, well, let's use that height and put the bed up against the ceiling. And there's been some other folks who have done this kind of thing, but what we did uniquely, we did a couple things uniquely. One is the entire bed is cantilevered. So there's no supports on the foot of the bed. There's no posts that come out underneath it. There's no chains that hang from the ceiling. Again, from a user experience point of view, we just felt like that was a non-starter. This had to feel like a normal bed that was coming down and, and not something where you had to worry about bashing your leg into a chain, you know, as you rolled around at night. Um, and so it's cantilevered, which meant that that we created a very heavy and sturdy metal structure underneath it. And what moves it up and down is it's essentially a pull, a weighted pull, a counterweighted pulley system with a winch mechanism that, that pulls the, the counterweight to move the bed up and down. But it's built on some extremely heavy duty rails, you know, rail and wheel system that it actually rolls on. 
and that this very heavy carriage actually ties into. So it's all clad in beautiful maple, but if you took that off, you'd see um, a very sturdy welded metal structure underneath. The other thing that we did uniquely with it was in creating that whole lift mechanism, we wanted to be conscious of how thick it was. So our initial thought when we were designing the homes were, well, let's put a Murphy bed in there, which people do. But then you start looking at Murphy beds and the cabinets for most Murphy beds are 18 to 24 inches thick, which means now in my seven foot nine interior from wall to wall, I'm burning up two feet of that. Well, now I simply can't have a queen bed or certainly can't have a bed that's that's running perpendicular to the unit, which is right. how we wanted because we want people to be able to walk around it or be on both sides of it. And so we managed to get the entire cabinet mechanism, the mechanism into a cabinet that is seven inches thick. So when the bed is up, there's a cabinet on the wall, but it's so thin and we built some kind of built-in shelves on either side of it. So it really just sort of looks like a built-in bookcase, a very, very thin bookcase because it's only seven inches deep. Mm-hmm. And doesn't look like a giant structure that's just sitting in the middle of your, you know, quote unquote, living room in the the unit itself. So it was a it was a really fun experiment. You know, we initially went out and thought, well, somebody must uh, sell these. And there are some units. There's a couple things in Europe that are done that are, uh, I believe, cantilevered or pretty close to cantilevered that are pretty nice, but. Again, the, the cabinets were too big. They were pretty expensive. And so we just went ahead and, and built it ourselves. That's awesome. And are you putting these in, in all the Sturgises or is it just, you know, when a client wants one that they can sleep in or that they don't want to take up that floor space? Well, that's a really good point. You, you mentioned something there that's really important that we try to clear up for folks. So the Sturgis is a particular unit that was built for a particular purpose as a prototype and later for use as a, on a TV show, but it we don't have fixed models, so there's no such thing as a Sturgis. Ah. Um, the Sturgis is a is a one of a kind. As everything we build is a one of a kind. As a as a custom builder, we we just don't do fixed models. So we'll have folks that come in and say, "I would like a Sturgis," but when we really start talking to them, what they mean is, "Well, I want something that's roughly that size, or I want something that has a nice interior." But but really, what they want is something that's not 20 feet long, but 16 feet long, or 24 feet long, or wider because it doesn't have to go down the road. So we have revisited the, the ceiling bed concept in some designs for clients. Again, it's, a, it's not a terribly inexpensive thing to build, and it requires the right kind of interior design for it to make sense and, and for it to work. Some folks just don't like the idea of the bed sort of, you know, sitting above them as they're uh, sitting on the couch or sort of hanging above them. We've got, of course, a number of safety mechanisms built into it to, to make it as, as safe as possible. But So it's not for every client, but it is a, an option that we can return to if it makes sense for the given project. Got it. Well, one other unique innovation that I wanted to ask about was the Rapid Deck, which, um, you know, just for those listening, is a, a modularized deck or panelized deck on, on aluminum on an aluminum frame. And I think that they would be really appealing for somebody who is traveling in their tiny house, maybe spending half the year one place and half the year the other place, who, you know, everybody recognizes the importance of having that outdoor living space and a deck is just wonderful for that. Um, so why don't you tell, tell me more about that rapid deck and, you know, how that one came to be? 
Sure. You described it very well. It is basically a modular deck and really how that came in was part of that same thinking about what do you do in a small space? How do you make it feel bigger? And as you said, a big part of that is using the exterior space. And particularly if you're thinking about structures, which as you mentioned, are not maybe designed to, to constantly travel down the road the way an RV might, but are meant to sit somewhere for maybe six months of the year or even for several years until you move. And then maybe you want to pick it up and take it to the next house. And so that's when we started looking at, well, you know, what folks do a lot is they might park a unit like this somewhere and then call their local contractor and say, hey, can you come over and build me a deck around this? And, and that's certainly an option. But then that deck is there. And when you go to move the unit, you got to tear that deck down. It's not coming with you. And we thought, well, a deck is really, there's, there's nothing about a deck that requires it really to be permanent. You know, you can take the structure of a deck and break it into modular pieces. My partner's a really accomplished metal worker and was really excited about welding aluminum. Um, and so we liked the, the weight savings that you get from creating an aluminum structure. And also, you know, we did some, a lot of experimentation to create a very rigid frame structure out of aluminum because it is less rigid than, say, steel. But to do a, a panel, and, and we, the panels we've created are either 8x4 or 12x4. We've also built a four by four uh, as a as a sort of experiment, four foot by four foot. But what we found is eight by four is kind of the right uh, size and weight to be able to to have something that's large enough to be rigid. Because if you have too many small panels, it's difficult to create something that that is level or levelable on a on a given ground. You know, you'd have something that was really undulating. But if the panels get too big, then they're just too heavy and awkward and cumbersome to move or to carry or to lift in place or to move to the next uh, space. And we've used on most of the ones that we built, we've used either Grappa or Ipe, again, the tropical hardwoods that we really like for exterior usage, but those are very heavy. So marrying that with an aluminum platform still got us into a weight that felt um, man portable and, and usable. Um, and then we you know, experimented with ways to sort of tie the decks together once you put them down so that you get a nice uh, level surface. But it's a really simple idea. Um, and I'm sure other folks have done things similar, but it is a thing that we found people are really excited about. And we do get a lot of calls from folks who, you know, have, have not purchased a, a structure from us, but wanted, you know, get some rapid decking to put together whatever kind of size makes sense for them. Uh, and that's also that was also part of the the thinking behind this. When we first built our initial three prototypes, we were putting them together as a sort of compound for a, a TV show that we were filming. And we wanted a deck that would connect all of them together to kind of make it feel more like a compound. But then we also knew that down the road, we would sell these units or we would move them to other parts of our property for demo and wanted to be able to then take that decking and and you know move it around and so we still do that today the units are parked in different places but we'll take a piece of deck and sometimes we'll build a really big deck outside of one and sometimes we'll you know just put a little walkway in front of another one again just to show clients hey whatever is going to make sense on your land uh, and in your environment you know this is a really flexible way to tackle that very cool well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests is what are two or three resources that inspired you along your tiny house journey? And, and for you, I might modify that question and say, you know, do you have any books on design or designers or just 
things that inspire the work that you do that you'd like to pass along? Sure, that's a great question. You know, we really look much more, we, we spend a lot of time looking at the tiny house community and still do, you know, to, to see what's happening out there, but we don't feel like that's the space that we're necessarily competing in. So we, we love and, and respect a lot of the work that folks do in that space, but we, you know, we're competing in what I would say is sort of an adjacent space of, of more backyard structures. And so all of which is to say, I think our design cues ultimately come more from the residential architecture space. So certainly dwell, uh, dwell magazine and, and the, the dwell, uh, media is a big influence for us is something we look to a lot it's a you know beautiful sort of bible of modern design and and has also long been a champion of of prefab and modular structures and so we can see what other you know great prefab manufacturers are doing and you know again we looked a lot at what prefab manufacturers of full-size residential spaces were doing both from a manufacturing standpoint from a design standpoint from solving some of the prefab building challenges you know, to speak to what we're doing. Um, so, you know, Dwell's certainly been an influence. There's a great community, I guess, is probably the best online community is probably the best description of it, um, called Brick and Wonder, uh, which we are a part of. And it's essentially a community of architects, designers, photographers, uh, interior designers, anybody associated with sort of residential design and construction, where those vendors can show off their work, but can also sort of refer jobs to each other and where consumers can come in. If you say, you know, look, I have a home in, um, you know, Hudson Valley in New York, and I want to put up a guest suite, or I'm looking for an architect for land I have in, in Burlington, Brick and Wonder is a place you can come and browse around and see other projects or even put in a request and say, hey, I'm looking for an architect in this style um, who can, you know, work to this budget. And so interacting with other vendors uh, on Brick and Wonder has been helpful and seeing, again, what other folks are doing, particularly as we look at, uh, you know, that kind of small space environment. There's a lot of folks who are in that ADU or, you know, backyard office, backyard guest suite kind of space that, you know, we like to look and, and see what they're doing and, and you know, um, see what kind of ideas we can be inspired by. Well, those are great suggestions. Uh, Mike Haney, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. And thanks for being so willing to share your knowledge with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much to Mike Haney for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including links to Cubist Engineering and photos of the beautiful Sturgis Tiny House and transformable trailer at thetinyhouse.net slash 082. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 082. Before we go, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has submitted questions for the show. I can't wait to start answering them. And if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask to record your question for the show. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash ask to record your question for the show. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.